Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest fertility podcast, brought to you by ReproMed. You're very welcome to Fertility Matters, Ireland's newest podcast that delves into all things fertility. Fertility Matters is brought to you by ReproMed, the leading fertility and IVF clinic in Ireland. And today I am joined by Aoife Corley, Clinical Midwife Manager at ReproMed and Hans Arce, Medical Director at ReproMed. You're both very welcome. Um, Aoife, I'm going to come to you first and I want us to cover off that very initial step for people. I know that a fertility journey is a really personal one for many people and and that's fine but I guess what that means then is that the information that people learn when they're on the journey doesn't necessarily get shared around. So for people who might be unaware and they're listening to this or, or watching us today and they want to make that initial step. Talk us through that. You can be referred by your GP or your doctor, um, who you may have seen in the past, or you can self-refer. So when you make initial contact with us, it's generally either over the phone or you'll come through the website. So if you do decide that you do want to go ahead with that step and make an appointment, we will always direct you towards our website where there's a triage form to fill out. That will then be sent to one of our administration specialists who will triage your form and basically decide um, what doctor will be most appropriate for you to attend. So you'll book, be booked in then for your initial consultation. Based on what information you've provided us on the form, we may say recommend an, um, a test or two to have before you come in to us. So the administrator would contact you either over the phone or via email, whatever's more convenient for you, give you the options of perhaps coming into us about a week before your initial appointment to have some in investigations done so that when you do come in for that consultation, there's a good use of time. There's some information already available to the doctor to speak to you about um, based with your personal information and then decide what kind of would be appropriate at that point. So it's a bit like a jigsaw and been able to put in the different pieces. So if before that person is sitting in front of you, you can be armed with that information, I guess it, it moves the process along. It moves the process along and it just means that that initial appointment with the doctor can be very valuable rather than coming in and just having a conversation and then some tests being recommended. You could have some of them done in advance, really use that time valuably and have a plan of action nearly as you're leaving. You don't need to go to your GP first because, as we say, there's a lot of people who'll find this a private journey. They will not want to even talk to their GP about it and they would prefer maybe the, the energy or the synergy that they would have with a fertility clinic and leave their GP completely out of it. You that's can, okay too. That's absolutely fine. You can leave them completely out of the loop. We do ask if you want us to contact your GP or not um, to keep them in, involved in what's going on and some patients will opt for that. But, yeah, a lot of patients would say that this is a private matter I'm just going to the specialist and I don't want anyone else involved. Talk to me about finances because it will be a consideration for people as they it make is. that first phone call or log on and fill out that form. Um, I'm sure while they're doing that, they're also probably flying down through your price list and trying to figure out how much it might cost. I know it's as long as a piece of string, but give us a ballpark for people. Your initial consultation, there's a cost for that. Depending on if you've health insurance or not, there might be a reduced fee for it. Um, VHI will cover um, a good proportion of the initial consultation if you're with them. Um, then in terms of if you're going through treatment cycles again if you have health insurance the costs can be reduced and those discounts for VHI customers with ReproMed are given at point of sale so uh, 
depending on your policy, certain amount of treatments may be covered. If you're not with VHI and you're coming as a, as a private patient, what you can, you will be paying cost per cycle. So in terms of fertility preservation, we offer egg freezing that starts from approximately 3,000 euro. We offer IVF or ICSI, which is between four and 5,000 euro onwards. And then the additional techniques that may be involved can cause, uh, carry an additional cost. Um, in terms of medication, there's something called the Drugs Payment Scheme card that everyone in Ireland who has a PPS number is entitled to apply for. And with your initial contact with us, we generally will recommend to have a look and apply for that card at that stage. Um, that and again, that's something that not many people are, are aware of its existence unless most you've, you've had some know. sort of a health issue. Yeah, so that's capped um, monthly per calendar month and there's a, a capped fee that we would pay, usually about €124 Euro per month and that would cover fertility meds. So that's the most you'll pay in any month? In terms of medication, yeah. That's. Okay, Hans, let me bring you in um, there in relation to, um, as we were saying with Aoife, you know, things have changed an awful lot. Lifestyle has changed. We live in a, in a different environment, a different landscape than, say, maybe 10 years ago. And I'm sure in science terms, 10 years has, has jumped hugely. Um, at ReproMed, you're obviously you know, accommodating anybody that comes through the doors. So you must see heterosexual couples, you must see uh, two females, you must see, you know, any sort of makeup of a family. Tell me about some of the main differences maybe then that, that exist between the different type of couple makeups. Well, the main, the main differences between either a single, single lady, a lesbian couple, same-sex couple, or a heterosexual couple is that in the latest, in the late group, the heterosexual couple, they have been trying to conceive, and they have failed to conceive by definition so 12 months. So that gives months. you a certain amount of information exactly. by knowing that. Just yeah. by knowing that, I can know that this couple has infertility, whereas a single lady or a lesbian couple will not have infertility because they haven't really tried. So the initial study, medical study, on uh, what I need to look for in an infertile couple is going to be very different to a lady that's just trying to have a child on her own. Mm. Uh, for example, if I would never think of doing a chest, chest x-ray on you if you don't have any pulmonary problems, if you're not coughing, why would I? But mm. if you come to me, I would definitely look for some problem in the, in the lungs if you have symptoms. Same thing with fertility. If there's no infertility, I don't really need to look for any problems. I suppose that if you're a heterosexual couple, I do. So your initial uh, step then with two females is donor sperm and then you just do one round and see, yes. and, and again you learn something from that. Basic screening, full blood count, make sure they vaccinated for rubella and then they can go ahead and do treatment. If there was a female couple and they weren't sure which uh, woman was going to carry the baby, would they look mm. for advice or usually would they have that decision made up Generally they come mm. to us with a decision already made. Um, depending on the age essentially, if they ask me for my opinion and depending on the health issues. If one is healthier, if one is younger, I would definitely propose to start there uh, because of better prognosis. Uh, but if they're the same age, it's up to them. But usually they walk into our office having that decision already made. Um, Aoife, I'll come back to you in terms of managing expectations because I'm sure this is something that's a, a huge part of your job. Um, it's not an exact science. We know there's, it's very successful. There, there are quite high success rates. But I guess people need to maybe be reminded of that as they start out on the journey. Is that is that a challenge sometimes? 
It certainly can be, especially for those couples with no underlying fertility issues. So the same-sex couples or the single women that come in, they kind of presume the first cycle is going to work because they haven't been trying to conceive. But your chances of success are your chances of success if you were trying to conceive naturally or via treatment. So, you know, it's not going to be a guaranteed try this month, you're going to be pregnant. Mm. And sometimes that can be quite hard to manage. So it's just... What I say to patients, and they're sick of listening to me saying it, is remain cautiously optimistic. Okay. We're doing all we can to get you through. We know we're timing things right. We know when we put the sperm in there or when we do the IVF procedure, you haven't ovulated. We're doing the best and we're timing things, but at the same turn of the, turn of the coin, it's not always guaranteed. And that can be hard. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and obviously dealing with disappointment then and, and obviously there's really, really high days as well where <laughs> yeah. it's good news for people. Yeah, the good news, like when you get to pick up the phone to someone that you've gotten to know over, you know, the course of, it can be a couple of weeks, it could be a couple of months, some patients have been with us a couple of years at this point. And when you get to make that call and, and tell them that, you know, we, we've reached success, like you can't bottle that feeling. It's, it's amazing. I can't imagine what it's like to receive that call because making them is, is mm. magical. But sometimes on the other side of it, when you're making that call, they haven't done a pregnancy test, they're really optimistic that it, it, it has worked and it hasn't, it can be very, very devastating. And sometimes we just have to just try and manage, support them as best we can. And, you know, sometimes for some patients, that's an hour long conversation on the phone talking about it. For some people, they hang up and we ring them back in an hour and it, it's so individualised. And I guess where they are when you make the call and all of that sort of stuff is important. You know, you'll hear yeah. people say, I got the call, I was in the middle of Tesco, you know, or, or whatever. Like, it, it, it's important, I guess, that, that you're mindful of all of that too. Yeah, and when they come in for their test, we always ask them, is there a sp specific time they need to be called at or if they prefer not to get a call and get a message through our patient portal, which is another option for them. Then they can digest the information then and let us know if they want us to ring them then or schedule a call with us for, you know, a day or two's time. Hans, obviously, his job, a, bit, a big part of it, again, is managing those expectations and, and being straight with people, which I think people really respect. It's also your job, I guess, to talk through the statistics with people. Tell us <clears throat> where they're at at the minute and maybe some of the changes or the advances that you've seen in terms of success rates, maybe over the past decade. When I started doing reproductive medicine, our IVF success rates in good prognosis patients was somewhere around 15%, 20%. Now a good prognosis couple can have a success rate of up to 60, 65%. Not only that, we've also improved in what we were talking with Claire about before, our freezing techniques in the lab. So nowadays we are aiming more at, if I stimulate your ovaries, how many eggs can I get? to form how many embryos and to form as many babies as I can with you going through treatment only once. So that's our new main uh, success rate. It's not just born baby, it's what we call cumulative born baby. How many babies can I form with only one cycle of stimulation of your ovaries? And nowadays those are skyrocketing. Probably more patient focused, is it over the past ten years in terms of some of the like the the precautions that will be taken? You know, we often hear again another myth is, oh, if you have IVF, you'll have twins or you'll have triplets. Look, um, in the lab nowadays, they're doing vitrification, which essentially means freezing embryos very, very, very quickly. Because if you forget a can of Coca-Cola in your freezer, it pops. That's what's happening to the embryos twelve years ago. The cells popped 
and embryos did not survive well. Mm -hmm. Embryos did not implant well. Now with the vitrification, they dehydrate these embryos and they freeze them really quickly, so that doesn't happen. So I can form, with one cycle of stimulation, get 25 eggs, freeze 10 embryos, and then this patient has 10 embryos there, might use two or three for the first child, and then she can come back three years later for this baby number two, and we just have all the embryos there frozen for her. My record nowadays is 16 years between one and the other children, the other child, from the same cycle of stimulation. So if you think about it, it's funny because they are actually twins. Just with 16, <laughs> yeah, years with 16 years between them. of a difference, yeah. The science behind it is incredible. Is it moving very fast? It has moved very, very, very fast. I think we're reaching uh, a point where the improvements are not going that fast like, so anymore. It's a plateau a bit yes, then, yeah. it was essentially the culture media that they were using in the lab. So I look, I, I love taking credit for what I do, but everything, all the magic happens in the lab, which is the biologists. Aoife, I know, um, you know you're, you're dealing with queries all of the time from people. I'm sure the same questions come up over and over again. Um, we might go through some of the myths and maybe bust some of them because I think, you know, people, as we said, can become experts on fertility when they find themselves landed into that environment. But at the very start, maybe when you're making that initial call to ReproMed or filling out the triage form, there are probably lots of things that you think to be true that aren't. And again, that falls in because not many people have conversations about fertility. So you might have heard something once and it has stayed with you because it's not something that we talk about all of the time. I think we are, we are getting better at that. Um, what would be the most common questions that you get then? Well, most of our ladies obviously ask uh, questions that we'd all ask. Can I dye my hair? Okay. Can I wear shellac? Can I wear fake tan? And um, the answer to those, the answer to those are yes. Okay. Always yes. Um, can I drink coffee is a huge one. Um, obviously, if you're drinking 15 cups a day, we'd need to have a conversation. But yeah. a coffee, two a day, is not going to affect your fertility levels. In terms of medications and stuff, do I need to do it at the exact same time every day? No. Keep it as routine as you can because it's easier to remember when you're doing a routine. But you do not have to set the alarm for seven o'clock every evening and that is just when you do it or you mess up your cycle. So that, that that's important as well to remember. You need to fit in treatment around your schedule and you need to make it as easy on yourself to become part of your day for that couple of weeks as you can. Get on with your normal life for the best part. You can still do your exercise. You can still do your normal routine. Go to the gym if that's what you do and just try and make it fit into your life as opposed to you fitting in around it. The microscope really is on people in those few days afterwards, whereas when somebody conceives naturally, they may not even know. They may not know for a month they could have had like wine every day on their summer holiday and, you know, they might not know until they find out that they're pregnant. So I guess that's probably important for people to remember that. It is important. It's also our duty to, to let patients take a deep breath and notice that they're, 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 they're not under the influence as much as they think. Uh, there's this huge myth around fertility nowadays that's gone crazy. Most of the times, well, pushed by Google, because everybody goes into Google. Mm. and Well, in Google, there's no filter. Anybody can write whatever. And just what you said, alcohol. I would say 90% of my patients haven't had a drop of alcohol in the past year when there is absolutely no evidence showing that alcohol affects fertility. Actually, there are some studies saying it improves fertility. Now, the reason we tell women that are trying to conceive not to drink is because alcohol can be dangerous for pregnancy. 
and they don't know when they're pregnant. But that's the reason, not because it causes infertility. You know, that's the perfect example of how it's mis misinterpreted and brought to an extent that is completely not, not useful for patients in any way. Aoife, in terms of boards, talk to me about boards a little bit and people getting their information on different fertility threads that might happen online. Um, they are things I've seen in the past yeah. and I can imagine that it could set the cat among the pigeons if you're in a very vulnerable situation and you read something, you're not sure, is that exactly the same as you? No two people are exactly the same. So. I guess you have to be careful about comparing. And you have to be so careful. And I think that's the most important thing. When someone mentions something that they've seen on an online forum, you really have to take a step back and just say to them, you know, these are individual cases. Just because something worked for somebody else, their, their, their situation is not the same as yours. When you come in to us and into Repromed, we're looking at you sitting in front of us, your situation, whatever's brought you to, to our door. And just because someone online has said eating pineapple has helped her conceive, doesn't mean that it's going to help you if it helps at all. Um, I think there is a place for the forums and the boards because, as we've said, it is quite isolating. So that, that to have that community spirit there is great and the bit of support, but at the same time, just because someone was prescribed X dose and you're on Y of medication doesn't mean that they have any more of a chance of success than you have. Yeah, it's hard. I guess it gives a little bit of support in a topic that, again, we don't speak about in an open way massively, but I guess proceed with caution in terms of, of taking it all on board. Um, what's too young for egg preservation, Hans, or is there such a thing? Um, we generally recommend to do it between the ages of 30 and 34. Uh, the only reason for that is because studies show that women that freeze their eggs too young have a high chance of not ever using them okay. because they might get pregnant on their own. Uh, but that's the only reason. But it's never too young. For example, cancer patients, they're going to have to go through chemotherapy and chemotherapy will destroy their ovarian reserve. They freeze eggs and they can be as young as 16, 17, 18. You mentioned chemotherapy there, and I guess that is another huge part of the whole fertility world because so many people, unfortunately, are, are forced into a fertility clinic. Again, you're taking action with no evidence that there may be a fertility problem. So a bit like two female um, clients who want to have a baby, I guess that's it's a similar approach then for somebody who's just there as a preventative measure. The big question, Mark, with that freezing is we don't know the quality of these eggs until we use them. Okay. So we could have... 20 frozen eggs that are actually never going to work, but we will not know until we try to use them. Or we could have 20 great eggs that are going to form five babies. So we don't really know. And that's one of the limiting factors for all the studies that we have for frozen eggs. Although the newer studies are showing that actually it is very and very, very convenient to freeze eggs. But the older studies, we, we hadn't used too many of the eggs that we had frozen. And not only that, but patients come back to have their children, let's say five years after the frozen eggs. But our freezing techniques today are not the same that the ones we were using five okay. years ago. So they've changed even they've in changed, five years. And they're yeah. so much better now. So I can't extrapolate the results from frozen eggs from eight years ago than the ones I'm freezing today. If a couple comes before you and say the woman in the couple, a heterosexual couple, if, if she is having treatment um, chemotherapy, is it preferable to freeze an embryo over an egg? Um, 
newer studies show that freezing eggs is as good as freezing embryos, but especially even though I do believe in love and I hope love lasts forever. <laughs> good, we have a romantic here. Divorce <laughs> is a reality and if they freeze embryos and they separate, then, then those embryos cannot issue. be used. Okay. Um, in terms of, you said between 30 and 34 is the optimal time for egg freezing. Do, do the chances of, like what happens after 34? So when somebody comes to you, maybe they're 36. It is always convenient to freeze eggs. Now it's the success rate of freezing eggs at 38 is lower than at 34, as much as IVF success mm -hmm. rates are lower at 38 than at 34. But if you have never heard of egg freezing and you're 37, and you're not planning on having children for the next five years, I would strongly recommend to freeze eggs anyway. Even though your success rates will not be as high at 37 than at 30, they're still a lot better than at 42. Okay. Um, Aoife, let me come back to you with a couple more um, myths. Um, you will often hear people say, if they want to have a baby, you'll often hear people say, oh, you need to come off the pill a year before that, or it'll take a long time for your cycle to regulate. Um, do people wonder about birth control and the effect it may or may not have on fertility? Um, obviously, a lot of women use birth control and have done for, for many, many years. Occasionally, it can have an impact with a cycle returning to normal, but in general, it comes back fairly quickly and doesn't have any long-term effects on your fertility levels. You mentioned coffee a little earlier. Um, are there other foodstuffs that people are worried about? Shellfish, anything else that people Shellfish, wonder? Shellfish, unpasteurised cheeses, all of these things that we you know, have traditionally heard to avoid. It's more to avoid in pregnancy than when you're trying to conceive. So instead of it actually being a barrier to conceiving, it's more that you might wake up tomorrow and be pregnant, so don't have that goat's cheese. <laughs> Hans, talk to me a little bit about stress and, and uh, infertility and the link, or is there a link? There is a link. Now, the, the importance of the link, it's still a very controversial topic. I can find 20 studies showing that there is no link. I can five, find it probably two or three saying there is. The fact that we're still discussing whether it is linked or not just shows that if there is a link, it's not as important as people think. The best example I always tell my patients is if stress was as important, how come there are still babies being born mm -hmm. in Africa, in Syria? How come the countries with the highest fertility indexes in the world are countries stuck by civil war and famine? So what I'm trying to say is I hate that message of relax and you'll get pregnant because that is a very guilt driven message and patients now are getting stressed about being stressed and somebody else comes and tells them you're not getting pregnant because you're stressed when it's not true the worst thing that you could hear and i'm sure Aoife, you see that all the time people leave after maybe having a transfer and they're thinking how am i going to get through <clears throat> you know the next 10 days but really it doesn't really matter what they do they're either pregnant or they're not be selfish with your time if there's something you don't want to do just say no um, if there's somewhere you don't want to go or somewhere you're supposed to be you know politely politely decline that invitation because if if you're adding to your stress you're then going to worry and then not that it has any effect but then you're thinking if it wasn't to be successful was it because and that's what we don't want people to go through stress after the point of stress um, do sexual positions have an effect on whether you get pregnant or not? No, they don't. <laughs> um, look, the studies say that the only active thing couples can do to improve their fertility is have more sex. Should so, you have sex every single day? The spermatozoa will live inside a woman mm. for five to seven days. And that is why the recommendation of having unprotected sex at least twice a week. 
There is a study saying that if you have more sex, there might be an improvement, mild improvement in fertility. So happy days. That can be stressful, though, if I guess, for people as well. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, as Hans laughs, I'm sure there's many women that you see in your clinic who kind of wonder, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing it often enough? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's stress, there's, you know, people on shift work, there's mm. people away with work, there's poor husbands that are abroad for two days and missing ovulation windows and people are just very stressed with it. So just as often as you can really is, is the message to put across. Um, what about flying? Fine, you can take precautions. Flying when you're getting, when you're trying to conceive obviously is absolutely fine. If you are pregnant and you're on a long haul flight, we would always say to speak to your consultant who's looking after your antenatal care if there's additional precautions needed for you, but most of the time it's absolutely perfect. Swimming? Swimming is fine. Okay, and um, in terms of other exercise then, I suppose would, is the safest thing. I guess you don't want to do anything maybe completely unusual that you, you know, haven't, if you, if you haven't run 10K, don't have don't your transfer and go and do your 10K, but in general, whatever has been the norm up to this point. Exactly, we generally say whatever your normal level is, there's absolutely no reason not to keep that up. If you go out every evening and run 5K, well, there's no harm in continuing to do that. Don't start taking up training for a marathon. Or kickboxing. Yeah, don't do kickboxing. <laughs> um, finally then, Aoife, uh, because we're almost out of time, but I guess just an, a message to people listening or watching that will have those kind of questions and many more questions that will come up for them personally and, and, and individually as they go along the journey. Um, to have the, that link with you and, and the communication and to not feel like they're on their own and to, to know that there's somebody there who cares about the process as, as much as they do, um, that's provided. It's so important, yeah. And we have a dedicated team of nurses. We have our portal where you can send in a message because sometimes people don't want to pick up the phone and ask what they determine is a silly question. But the important thing is to remember there is no such thing as a silly question you know, we've heard it all and we'll answer it all. And if I can't find out the answer, I will find it out for you. Okay, Aoife Corley, Clinical Midwife Manager at ReproMed and Hans Arce, Medical Director. Thank you both for being with us today. That's all we've got time for in this episode of Fertility Matters. You can head over to repromed.ie to book an appointment, to speak to any of the experts or to get any more information. And also follow ReproMed Ireland on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Fertility Matters. Ireland's newest fertility podcast, brought to you by Repromed.